welcome to New Planet, a podcast where we inform and enable a sustainable lifestyle. Hi, Aiden. Hello, Xander. We're back. We are another episode of New Planet. Episode four. What's the what's the topic? The topic for this one is carbon footprint. And so that includes just uh, discussing what a carbon footprint is. It includes uh, me and Xander's carbon footprints. We did some some surveys, some carbon footprint calculators, and uh, we'll discuss what our own individual footprints are. And then at the end, we'll talk about uh, carbon footprints of individuals versus uh, corporations, companies, and governments' carbon footprints. And I'll focus on a certain report uh, to discuss that topic. But before we get into all that, got to have our quote. And so I chose today's quote, and it is Carl Sagan, which is very fitting for me, if you know me. <laughs> and... Um, the quote is from his Pale Blue Dot speech, and this speech to me is one of the most inspirational and just incredible speeches that I will ever hear personally. It came from when, <clears throat> in 1990, Carl Sagan told uh, I, the NASA headquarters, whoever was in charge of the Voyager 1 spacecraft, which was sent on a mission throughout the solar system with a plan to eventually leave the solar system. So it would travel through planets and discover very important things about the planets in the outer solar system, and then eventually would continue on its journey out into interstellar space. And so in 1990, he told uh, NASA to turn the spacecraft around and look back at Earth as it was leaving the solar system. And he got this picture of essentially blackness with a few um, streaks of light that were essentially just artifacts of the camera. Um, and in one of those streaks of light, you see a tiny little dot, just a tiny little blue dot, and that was Earth. Just a little pixel. Uh, basically a pixel. And he created this speech, and the quote here comes from just part of it, but it is a bit longer than this. And it's, Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives on a mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. It's a good quote, man. It's beautiful. Now I'm going to have an existential crisis. Right? <laughs> so that's the quote we chose for today's episode. So, uh, let's get into it, Xander. Let's do it. I'm excited to talk about my carbon footprint. Yeah, so, um, what is a carbon footprint? <laughs> well, funny you ask. The, <laughs> the carbon footprint is the total amount of greenhouse gases produced to directly and indirectly support human activities or how many Earths are required to support your lifestyle. So, there are two types of carbon footprints there is an indirect and a direct source of impact so direct carbon emissions come from sources that are directly from the site that is 
producing a product. Right. So like a direct, ex- uh, a direct source, an example of that would be like burning fuel in your house or from your car. Like for an individual person, that would be their a direct source of CO2 emissions and part of their carbon footprint. And then um, an indirect example that's like fuel burned to produce goods that are far away from the customer. So uh, if you buy a lot of clothes, for example, your indirect uh, source of your carbon footprint would be like the, f- the factory or the facility that produces your clothes for you, perhaps in China or something or in some other country. And that would be an indirect uh, source of your carbon footprint. And the transportation of the materials to the factory and then yes. the finished good to you and the waste produced from production of that good. There, there are so many indirect factors that yeah. we don't really think about in our regular life. That's a big so, one. I mean, yeah. you, like for me and Xander who are plant-based to, at least I think Xander is, right? To a certain degree. I eat fish like four times a month. That's right. So even with all of the plants we eat and like keeping um, our carbon emissions down from not eating like a lot of animals, um, there's still always that indirect cost that is associated with like transporting vegetables or fruits from perhaps a tropical country over to the U.S. where it doesn't, it's not actually grown. So, yeah. And so speaking of food, that's one of the major things that contributes to your carbon footprint because the carbon footprint is consisted of different factors and if you go on and do a carbon calcul- carbon footprint calculator online you know it'll have the different sections and food is one of them and it's a big one so um, with regard to food the biggest problem and the biggest contributor to uh, your carbon footprint is meat production and if you didn't already know Beef is one of the worst. Uh, I think the highest, uh, the biggest uh, contributor to your carbon footprint with regards to meat is actually lamb. Um, mm-hmm. But I've heard that. Yeah, but beef is the next one, and since that is a more common food to eat, we'll talk a little bit more in depth about that. So, when you think about meat production in general, you're getting one product, which is the meat. But to get to that product, you need land, you need water, food, and human labor. So you're getting a lot of resources put into creating one product and it's very inefficient and so that can be shown uh through beef production so for example and i'll ask you this xander uh per one quarter pound of hamburger meat how much feed do you think is needed a quarter pound of hamburger meat Hmm. i'll say four all right so that's not it damn (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's actually 13.5 pounds of feed per quarter pound of wow. hamburger. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that inefficiency that you have to feed these animals plant energy to get an- to get energy from the animal out of it and get meat out of it, is ext- it's very inefficient. And so there's also the factor of water. So this is actually, there's a huge range, depending on how you calculate this, of how much water actually goes into creating uh a certain amount of, of animal meat. So for a quarter pound of hamburger, what do you think the amount of water in gallons you need to create that that quarter pounder? How about, hmm, for a quarter pound, I will say 100. 
Okay, so you're not wrong. One of oh. the lower one of the lower estimates. Wow. <laughs> One That's of the, a lot of water. <laughs> one of the one of the lower estimates that I saw for this was fourteen point six gallons, but a different study actually used uh, other factors that included like water that they used to, for example, I think wash the animals. But this the higher estimate of of how much water is used was actually uh, four hundred and sixty gallons for a quarter pound of hamburger meat. Um, wow. Damn, that's a, that's a lot. So think about this. If you got a pool, right, and the pool is 10 feet long and 10 feet wide and 5 feet deep, that's 3,740 gallons of water. So if we're using that, that high number of 460, that's around 8 patties for that volume of a swimming pool, which <sighs> is quite inefficient. Yeah. <laughs> quite inefficient if i say so <laughs> um all right and last uh hamburger meat fact and this is much more related to a carbon footprint how much carbon how much co2 is produced do you think xander for a quarter pound of beef what what units do you want me to, to use uh pounds of mm. pounds of co2 750. <laughs> I think you got a little skewed there from the water. So it's, it's not nearly that much. It's only... Right, right, 500. It, no, no, no. It's 6.6 6 pounds of carbon dioxide oh, for, a, okay, okay. for a quarter pound of beef. Um, I feel better now. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But uh, when you think about it, um, there is a comparison to that. Like a comparison of, for example, how much CO2 you produce when you drive compared to, um, like, for example, that 6.6 pounds of CO2 for a quarter pound of hamburger meat. Um, so this other uh, study from the University of Michigan, they showed that the average uh, passenger car emits 0.72 pounds of CO2 per mile driven. So if you think about that, that's like for every hamburger, every quarter pound hamburger, you're essentially driving like eight-ish miles. Um, wow. And then you think about the food, like all these farms that produce livestock are in the Midwest or outside of cities where most of the population lives. So yeah. one, like th those eight miles that are transported, that's one quarter pounder. Yeah. So it's interesting, I think, to maybe compare that, uh, like the carbon, the CO2 produced from a hamburger and then kind of translate that into how many miles you would have to drive. So if you've eaten like a hundred hamburgers in your life, you would be driving like 800 miles, kind of something like that to kind of put that into perspective. Um, so it's interesting to think about it that way, I think. Wow. Yeah. And also that same university of Michigan, uh, page, there's a fact sheet that talks about, uh, people's carbon footprints with regard to food and transportation and household emissions. Uh, it shows this uh, pie chart that puts all the different food sources into their sections of how their uh, how much greenhouse gases they produce uh, based on average food consumption. And so meat takes up 47.6% of those greenhouse gas emissions. And then dairy products, 189 Poultry, fish, seafood, and eggs, 139 So over 75% of animal products create... Uh, 
sorry, I should reword that, 75% uh, of greenhouse gases come from the consumption of uh, animal products when it comes to food consumption. And then other, the to make up the full 100%, you include like vegetables, fruit, grains, uh, sugars and sweeteners, and oils. But uh, yeah, animal products create 75 plus percent uh, of greenhouse gas emissions from food. Wow. Yeah, so if that puts into perspective, yeah, it puts into perspective how much, uh, how important food production is with regards to greenhouse gas emissions. And I think culturally in America, most people eat meat for multiple meals a day. Yeah. So, and it's not just thinking about, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, it's not only just about like how much they eat it, but also the, what type of meat they eat, like we, we mentioned earlier, because beef and lamb are the worst when it comes to how much uh, carbon they add to the atmosphere, but you can make a significant difference even by just cutting down to chicken and meats that are less, mm -hmm. or that are more efficient when it comes to using water and carbon dioxide emissions and things like that, but the ideal uh, solution would be to eat less meat um, in general. Right, so go from, you know, multiple times a day to once a day to six days a week and then get down to the point where having a steak is a celebration, you know, only get it on your birthday, yeah. something like that. Yeah, sure. Just minimize, but, you know, don't inhibit your experience because if you love steak, eat steak, but don't eat it every day because <laughs> then when you do eat it that one time a year, you're like, ooh, I remember how much I love steak. Can't wait for next year. Looking forward to it. <laughs> it's a good way to look at it. There um, you go. <laughs> all right, and then moving on from food, uh, another one of the biggest contributors to your carbon footprint would be transportation, and that includes like your personal transportation with like within your own car, or public transport, and also flying on planes, um, as Xander will explain later. Um, <laughs> I don't fly on planes. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, so here's another question for you, Xander. Uh, cars, this is from that University of Michigan fact sheet again. Um, cars, I'm ready to guess. Cars and light trucks emitted how much CO2 in 2016? And that would equal 17% of U.S. Uh, CO2 emissions. Hmm. In, uh, you want pounds of CO2? Um, let me remind myself of what the statistic was in. Um, yeah, metric tons. Okay, metric tons of CO2. I don't even know how to visualize what one metric pound of CO2 looks like. <laughs> but if, uh, or a metric ton, my bad. 17% uh, percent of U.S. emissions in metric tons for cars. Oh, man, I don't know. Half a million? 500,000 metric tons? That seems like a lot. Try 1.1 billion. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a lot. Wow. Yeah. That's That makes me sad. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it makes me sad, too, because it's only 17% of total oh, greenhouse gas wow. emissions. From I can't even imagine what that looks like, or even a million metric tons. Yeah. Well, if we're talking about crazy big numbers, I guess it's still million, but... This is each day, the, the global supply of barrels of oil is 100 million. Yeah. That's each day we extract 100 million barrels of oil. Yeah. 
that's way too much. And it's these numbers are just like, un, they're not graspable. Past a certain point, you just right. hear the number and you're just like, oh, like that's a lot. But you, you, you that's can't. That's big, yeah. You can't like really picture that. It's hard. Um, yeah. So yeah. I have no idea how much even like 500 pounds of CO2 looks like. You know, like, yeah, that's, right. That seems like a lot. I think but, it's even hard to just imagine a gas in terms of a weight, you know? Like, how do you quantify yeah. a gas? <laughs> like, that's so... Uh, it's crazy. Moles, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, Don't make um, me get into chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like I said, the average car emits 0.78 uh, pounds of CO2 per mile driven. So I didn't do the math, but going from one car to per mile driven up to 1.1 billion metric tons. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, and then we haven't even talked about planes, but um, planes emit a huge amount of greenhouse gases as well, CO2. And luckily they have gotten more efficient over the last like decades. But I think they the, the fact sheet said that the average commercial flight emits 0.39 pounds of CO2 per passenger mile. So if you fly like across the U.S., you go from San Francisco to New York, that's like almost 3,000 miles or 2,500 miles or something um, per person. Um, you multiply that up and that gets added up to a lot of miles. And that's, imagine how many flights there are every day and every year. So planes are one of the least efficient ways to travel. And if you can attempt to reduce... Uh, your plane miles for sure. Um, That's just a bummer because if you think about time saved, you know, like personal time yeah. efficiency for traveling, planes are the the fastest way to get where you're going. But yeah, it's the true. Worst for the planet, so it's how do we balance that? Yeah, let's make some electric planes, Elon. Come on, where you at? <laughs> um, so yeah, let's move on to me and Xander's individual carbon footprints so we each did these four these four different carbon footprint calculators uh from various websites and uh well i'll go first my average was 16.78 tons of co2 per year mine was 16.8 and it's interesting how we both got to these same or very similar uh averages because me and xander live like well similar lifestyles but um for example, I live in a house and with a bigger square footage and I need more energy for my, uh, my household. And I drive a lot because I live in San Diego and I have to go on the highway to pretty much get anywhere. And the public transport is horrible here. So um, I drive a lot and I use more energy at home. We both don't eat a lot of meat, so that's pretty similar. And I don't fly very much anymore. Um, I used to, I guess, but I don't do so much anymore. Um, and on the other hand, Xander lives in a smaller apartment, uses hardly any energy. The energy that he does use is green energy, more or less. And right. he doesn't drive a lot because he lives in a place with a good public transportation system. I also live like downtown in Seattle, so yeah. I can pretty much walk wherever. And my apartment is less than 400 square feet, which is very small, but doesn't cost a lot to heat and through Seattle City Light we can opt into green energy and a lot of the energy or the electricity produced for Seattle is hydroelectric like 88% of Washington's energy is hydroelectric all those dams we got on the rivers but 
I, I fly a lot. Yeah. He, <laughs> he was much places. He was much lower than I was at first, but then he put in his, his flying um, part of the carbon Oopsie. footprint, and it kind of jacked it up quite a bit. So, um, so yeah. But we both ended up with a similar average, which is interesting. And um, when we compare that to the average of, like, the average American carbon footprint, which we found varying results, like, I found some that were, like, 20 uh, tons of CO2 per year. There were others that estimated at like 60 something tons per year. Um, but even if we like average that out, it'll be much higher than ours are. And I think that has a lot to do with, um, with probably the food we eat mostly. That's a big contributor. Um, we don't use too much energy at home. Um, and yeah, I think in general, we just live a more sustainable lifestyle than I think the average American, which is nice to know. Uh, on on TerraPass, one of the carbon footprint calculators that we used said that the U.S. average is around sixty four thousand pounds of CO two per year, and that's pretty much fifty percent home energy and fifty percent vehicle. So most people are heating their homes in an inefficient way and driving a lot. And Aiden and I are able to drive less and have our homes be more efficient. But like my, for example, the, the U.S. average for home energy is 2,800. My average with rough, rough estimates is around 1,800. But the average uh, air travel is around 4,500, and mine's around uh, 50,000. So, <laughs> oops. <laughs> oops. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Uh, I'll buy some trees and uh, plant them. <laughs> yeah, it's it, flying is definitely something to look out for for sure. Oh, <clears throat> it's such a bummer because it's so much faster than driving. Yeah, and I think a couple airlines allow you to buy clean, like you can offset your impact yeah, somehow. I did see that too. Airlines. I saw yeah. that as so, well. There are ways to reduce the impact when you do fly, but it's definitely something to be aware of. So yeah, if you're gonna fly, figure out how to impact the earth in the the least way so yeah i'm going to look into ways that i can offset that amount of air travel that i am doing like i'm going to fly to asia on thursday and that's like five thousand miles so yeah (sighs) oops (laughs) um yeah well let's move on and maybe this will make us feel a little bit better about ourselves on this last subject (laughs) um (laughs) so the last the last uh section we're going to talk about is individual carbon footprints versus the carbon footprints of organizations and governments and corporations. Um, And this is something that I really wanted to talk about because I wouldn't feel really fair if I didn't talk about this in a whole episode about carbon footprints. So um, this is going to draw largely from this report called the Carbon Majors Report, which was uh, created by the Carbon Disclosure Project, which essentially is a, a project that it wants to disclose the environmental impact of major corporations around the world, and it wants to be transparent and show everybody like what the major con- uh, contributors, who the major contributors are in the world for uh, carbon dioxide and, and other greenhouse gases. And so um, I wanted to preface this a little bit with uh, going back a little bit to our last episode about the history of sustainability and that environmental movement in the U.S. in the 60s and 70s. So... That was definitely aimed uh, largely at governments and corporations as the sources of the environmental problems that we were facing back then. 
And essentially in order to avoid this blame and also to, I guess, greenwash themselves to a certain degree, uh, campaigns were created to shove the blame onto individuals. Um, and one of the most noteworthy ones is the Keep America Beautiful campaign, or rather they had campaigns Keep America Beautiful was a, uh, an organization, uh, a consortium of businesses. So those businesses included uh, Anheuser-Busch, PepsiCo, and Coca-Cola. So, you know, the real, the good guys out there, totally. <laughs> um, and so they created this campaign to essentially tell Americans to stop polluting. Because their, their campaign slogan was, people start pollution, people can stop it. And they created this really heartfelt ad, um, the Crying Indian commercial. It's pretty famous. It's of this... Uh, an American Indian who is canoeing down a river. There's a bunch of pollution in the river. He gets into this bay. I believe it's actually San Francisco Bay, and it's completely polluted. There's uh, chimney stacks and you know air pollution. He gets up onto the shore, and a somebody throws this trash out of the car, and a bunch of fast food wrappers like fall at his feet and stuff like that. He turns to the camera, and a tear rolls down his cheek, and um, it's essentially. <laughs> saying that people are the ones that are polluting and we can stop it. And, you know, you keep in mind that this was created by those huge conglomerates, those giant companies, Pepsi and, and Coca-Cola. And so that was a preface because this report talks about how, where the, where the real uh, significant amounts of greenhouse gases are coming from. And so it, take, it took uh, data from 100 fossil fuel producers, which included like corporations and governments, like state-run uh, producers, and it portrays them in a more fair and representative perspective. And so here are a couple of facts from, from that uh, report. The first one uh, is that 833 gigatons of CO2, and if you don't know the unit for a gigaton, giga is 10 to the ninth. So... Um, 1 billion. So 833 billion tons of CO2 were emitted within 28 years from 1988 to 2016, um, whereas 820 gigatons of CO2 were emitted in the 237 years between the beginning of the Industrial Revolution and 1988. So the last 28, well, I guess now 31 years, um, you can add some some more emissions onto that. But we emitted more than we did in the last 237 years. And so that 1988 uh, year was used kind of as the point where fossil fuel companies knew uh, the, um, the impacts of fossil fuel extraction and greenhouse gas emissions. And beyond that point, they, they had that information. They could have done something about it, but they didn't. And so they knew that their products were causing environmental destabilization. But since then, uh, 25 corporate and state entities, just 25 of them, have uh, account for 51% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And 100 companies, corporations, state entities uh, have accounted for 71% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So... <sighs> Yeah. 
he sighs heavily. <laughs> it's it's a hard thing to take, and I guess I'll get into that just in a second. But before I do, um, what do these fossil fuel producers have to do to reduce their carbon footprint? And like, what's the cost for them? And for them, it's stranded assets. So they have all these potential uh, locations around the world where they could continue extracting fossil fuels and um, and add more uh, greenhouse gases to the atmosphere and further destabilizing the planet, giving us no chance at reducing um, our greenhouse gas emissions or reaching that 2 degrees Celsius temperature rise level, uh, which we need to stay below. Um, and studies have shown that the stranded assets that they'd have to leave in the ground are like $2 trillion worth of them. Um, it's all <laughs> It's a huge industry, and there's a lot of money still to be made in it, but the point is that for them to reduce their carbon footprint, they have to give up those stranded assets and uh, and leave those fossil fuels in the ground. And so it kind of like brings up the question uh, we've kind of, of so what? Like we've kind of talked about now, like your individual, me and Xander's individual uh, carbon footprints, which compare in no way to what I just mentioned. Um, but... Like, so what? Like, do I not have to worry about my own actions now because 100 companies and governments are contributing 71% of global greenhouse gas emissions? It's pretty easy to think that way. But at the same time, I would say, like, no, because it's much more complicated than that. Um, there, there needs to not be such, like, a black and white issue, I guess, here. There needs to be, like, a collective stewardship I would say, among like people and governments and corporations, as unlikely as that may seem right now. <laughs> um, and so like we need to still need to take individual actions to change our unsustainable habits and at the same time hold leaders and companies like accountable for their actions. And so like if you're listening right now and you just feel a sense of frustration when you hear that like you, if you're an average American, you emit like 20 tons of CO2 per year, for example, while 635 gigatons of CO2 were emitted in 28 years by 100 companies and governments. Like, that's understandable. I feel frustrated just reading that stat out loud. <sighs> Me too, man. <laughs> Um, Jeez. and there's a clear disconnect there when like we as consumers are told to use like energy efficient light bulbs or like unplug or turn off your TV when you're not watching it while there's no accountability for the companies that just shoot gas and methane carbon dioxide into the air with little to no regulations um, but I think that we have the ability to like change our consumer and consumption patterns and we have the ability to pressure our governments to make changes for a more sustainable future. And like, I guess it starts with like changing your own habits. If it, if you don't do it for the environment, you could do it for your own like economic well-being. because I, for a fact know that if you live a more sustainable lifestyle, you'll live a cheaper lifestyle as well. Like if you, if you use less energy, you're helping the environment a little bit, but you're also helping your, your wallet. Like, you can save money by saving energy um, and things like that. So it helps you, and I think it sets, like, a trend, at the very least, um, for other people to follow. So Yeah, I, I, like, right now we are, we have the capacity as individuals to vote with our dollars. So 
to an extent, we have an impact on these industries and we can hold them accountable to an extent by not purchasing from companies that aren't sustainable. But we need more transparency and more regulation that really holds these companies accountable for their action and allows the consumer to make more educated decisions on the products that they purchase. And also just buy less stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. That'll help the planet. Yeah, there are a lot of things that we could tell you to do. And so, like, I mean, some things that I wrote down that we want to talk about, like, right now near the end of the episode is, like, engage in activities that reduce your carbon footprint. And that could be, like, opting into green energy programs for your your household energy usage. I don't really... I I know that I remember living in Washington. I had that option. I didn't take advantage of it. Um, but Washington is very good for um, green energy programs. I know you can pay a little bit of a premium just to get green energy. And... Yep. Yeah. Shout out. Yeah. Um, and that could also be, like, installing solar panels on your house. I know that... Um, in certain areas where there's a lot of sun, you can get your uh, your money back for that, and your investment will like be returned very quickly, like easily less than in a decade in a lot of places. And it's worth looking into that because you get f- energy from the sun, like free energy. It's crazy, right? <laughs> and um, there's there's also a uh, federal solar tax credit that incentive is deducts 30 percent of the cost of insulation for a solar energy system yeah from your federal taxes so and i just there th- are there we are moving in the right direction so people just don't know about that enough is my like, yeah. feeling like i i mean i'm not a homeowner so i don't have the ability to put um solar panels on my roof yet but like a lot of homeowners i think just don't know that that there are programs that incentivize you to use green energy uh, you got to take yeah. advantage of that because if there's more demand for for green energy, the supply will increase, you know? That's economics. <laughs> um, and then also, this is more up my alley of like demanding that your co- that companies and governments reduce their own carbon footprint. So whether that is through like voting, ta- voting, talking to people you know, and explaining to them why it matters that they vote and why it matters that they vote for a certain candidate who maybe supports green energy or... Um, you could do like, like, I don't know if this is the right term, but like negative action, which would be like boycotting certain products of companies. Like I know I take, uh, time out of my shopping to like, look at, um, so like when you have a product and you're just like, Oh, this is a, a cool green company, but then maybe you look at the back and it's like distributed by Nestle or something like take a little extra time out of your shopping experience to like, make sure what you're buying is sustainable. Um, and, and watch out for greenwashing. Yeah. That's, that's a whole episode topic. And we, I think last episode we talked about the Fridays for Future movement. Like We'll reiterate on that. I think it's important to get out and boycott and vote. You know, And you can just show your representation for climate action by participating in the Friday for Future movement and just standing in front of your town hall or wherever that location is. There, There's a website. We're going to post content on our Instagram about it where you can see where all of these movements are happening all across the globe, and it's very easy to participate there every Friday. Aiden did it. I'm going to do it, and we're going to post about it on our Instagram and tag ourselves in it, and we really 
if you do that, please tag us in it. Like, we really want this to be a community, and we want to see each other taking that action because that inspires others and really causes this momentum forward in a progressive way where we are not destroying the planet. Yes, sir. Keep on listening to New Planet because uh, we got a whole lot of topics to cover about sustainable living. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to our show on Carbon Footprints. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Check out our Instagram at New Planet, and feel free to send us an email at newplanetpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. As always, I'm Aiden Hirsch. And I'm Xander Kipp. We'll see you next time. Bye.